0: While you're turning, let me say that we appreciate so much the fact that you are here. We're thankful for the presence of each person. And if you're a visitor, we want to especially thank you and invite you back at every opportunity. What a week we have had. And the singing has not disappointed me a single time, has it (laughs) No disappointment there. Ty talked about during the singing instruction all week how the singing opens up our hearts to God's Word. And I truly believe that. And I believe that it is ordained by God. And we teach and admonish one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, We have had baptisms this week, some at night, some at day services with the singing instruction. Uh, The singing is just as vital and more, perhaps in a lot of ways, than sometimes our time that we spend behind the pulpit. Uh, depending on the heart that the Word of God is penetrating and uh, producing fruit in. This evening, I'd like to make a study with you, if you will, and talk about uh, an encounter with Jesus. And the idea of an encounter with Jesus uh, intrigues me a little bit, but I see people that have encountered him when he walked this earth and when he was flesh and blood, and every person that came in contact with Jesus left a different person in some form or another. Now, I'm not saying that they gave their heart to him and they followed him. Some didn't, and we know that. And we know today that there are some that even though Jesus is presented to them, that they turn him down and say, that's just not for me. I'd rather go back to my way of life, whatever that might be, And I'd rather be who I am. I'm quite content with who I am. Jesus is constantly offering us a change. A conversion, if you will. And he's constantly giving us an invitation to come. Come. Come follow me. And I'll make you. And that's the invitation over and over again. Not come and follow me and I will let you be. But come follow me and I will make you. And there's a big difference. Not come and follow me and I'll let you have this. That's the way we entice our children sometime in some homes. God never does that with us. Jesus offers us an invitation to come and to be transformed. To be converted. To be changed. Somebody says, I don't know if I like that. Well, I've asked this question at least one time this week, I won't ask it again. Is your life that great? <laughs> really? Are you living in a utopia in your community and in your life? Is it really that great? Has sin brought you that much pleasure that you don't want Jesus because you're just happy where you are? I'm reminded of the little boy that got his daddy's pig. And he took him out and he washed him up. Made him just as white as snow. Cleaned ever old bristle on him. He said, Daddy, looky here, what a pig. <laughs> and turned the pig loose, and he goes right back to the mud hole. Right back to the wallowing. It's the way some, some people are. Is your life really that great that you'd take a pig pen or a, a mud hole of this life over the, the glory of God? Surely not. When we encounter Jesus, we're posed with that question. Will you come? Will you allow Jesus to remake you, to make you into the vessel he wants you to be? To be changed? To be converted? I want to go through with you tonight as quickly as we can because looking at somebody's life over a three-year period And uh, the information that we have in the New Testament, it's very difficult. But I would like for us to take a quick look, a thumbnail sketch, if you will, of a man who encountered Jesus. And his name is Peter. You probably know him as Simon Peter. Now, personally, I would love to be like the Apostle Paul. But if truth be known I probably have more in common with Peter than I do Paul. Paul studied at the feet of scholars. Paul himself was a scholar. Paul attained things in the flesh that he could be very boastful of he says. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, Peter. He was a fisherman. And I look at my life and I see that where I was born and the family that I was born into, the way that I've lived my entire life, I'm just a common man. I have a lot more in common with Peter than I do Paul. I've always admired Paul. But I admire Peter too. But I have more in common with Peter in a number of ways than I do Paul in the fact of what he experienced in his life. And I believe that I'm talking to people this evening that can relate to Peter's life because in many cases, you're just like him, and I am too. You have those moments that you want to excel, and you think, I'm climbing this hill, and I've got this. I'm in charge here. I've got the hill, and then all of a sudden you'll slip. And it seems like you're back where you started In some of our cases, we're back lower than we started. Haven't you experienced that? At about the time you think you've got your life under control, you'll stump your toes, so to speak. And you'll trip and you'll fall. And many of us get so discouraged, we don't know how we could even get up again. We've seen homes wrecked and then remended by Jesus. Jesus. We've seen lives torn apart and then made new by Jesus. We've seen all of these things. But yet when we encounter Jesus on a daily basis, many times we're just like Peter. I think I know more than he does. I think I've experienced more than he has. There's a passage that I want us to start with because this is kind of a bold moment for Peter in his life. He's been with Jesus now about 3 years. And he's been walking with him and he's been seeing things and we're going to show you some of those things that he saw. And now at the night of Jesus betrayal and they're sitting at a table, can you imagine sitting at the table with the master? What an encounter. Not only that, but Jesus has been serving you. What amazing encounter. And Peter says, Lord, you got me. I'm with you. I'll go. I'll go to death with you. Look at what he says. Jesus says, "But I have prayed for thee, talking to Peter, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren." And he said unto him, "Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. I'm ready to go with you both into prison and death. Peter was so sure of himself. He'd been with Jesus for three years. He was in the confidence level that he could even say, I'll give my life. And I don't know how many people in my lifetime I've heard, heard say that. Why, I would die for the Lord. Oh, absolutely. And the idea of never uh, going against Christ, I don't know how many times I've heard people say that. And then we see Peter. Jesus says to him something that has always bothered me a little bit. And I want to tell you that it bothers me uh, about myself. And it should bother you, I think, about you. Is Peter, when you're converted, when you're converted, you mean Peter's not converted? How could you not be converted? Let's look at Peter a few minutes. Peter received a call from the Lord. The Scripture says in Matthew four verses 18 through 22, uh, 22 excuse me. and Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I want you to notice that phrase. Follow me, and I will make you. Jesus had a plan for Peter. And he gave Peter a call. The scripture says in verse 20, And straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, He saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father, and they followed him. And this is the first record that we find of Peter uh, having an encounter with Jesus, and he answered the call of Christ. And later on this evening, in just a few minutes, we're going to offer an invitation, an invitation to come and follow Jesus. And you begin your life. We've seen people do that here this week. We've had the seat full. And if you need Jesus tonight, I don't care who you are, you need to answer this call. I want you to notice this call is also a call to you and to me. No, he's not going to make you an apostle, but he's got something for you. He's going to make you into a vessel for his service. He wants you to glorify him. When I first started preaching, you know, I had, I guess, visions of grandeur. Uh, I don't know. I guess everybody does in some form. You know, you could think about seeing people and just affecting hundreds of thousands of lives and everything. And a seasoned preacher told me, he said, Mark, listen. Get this, Mark. You need to hear this. You can serve Christ and you can glorify God digging a ditch. Or working on a farm, working in a rubber factory, what I did for 28 and a half years. Are we glorifying God? Are we following him? Our life begins a process. It's a process of growth, and it's a process of change, a process of transformation. But you have to answer this call. If you don't answer this call, Christ can't do anything with you. This call, however, comes with a certain amount of uh, technicalities. If you'll notice in this passage, Peter left his profession. He left his family. He left his wife to go and to serve. Sometimes our calling causes us to go to great sacrifice. There are many people today that their families will oppose them if they obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. The cost of discipleship, Jesus speaks in Luke 14, verse 26... If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. The meaning of this and the literal translation of this is if you don't love Jesus more than you love your family, you're not going to be his disciple and you're not, going to, you're not worthy to follow him. And he can't make you. He can't transform you if you're not willing to give this sacrifice in this same chapter, in verse 27, he says we have to bear his cross. That's a sacrifice, I'm telling you. I find it interesting of uh, bearing his cross. is uh, When we carry that cross of Christ, where did Jesus go with his cross? He went to death. We have to die. Die to ourselves. He says no one would follow him except they count the cost. In verse 28, he talks about a man building a tower. He's going to evaluate that. He's going to do the estimates. He's going to find out if he has the money and if he has the manpower to build this tower and how foolish it would be to build something and then run out and you don't have the means to finish it. And he said all the people around is going to laugh and uh, make fun of you. Nobody would like that, would they? (laughs) Or a king, in verse 31, a king going to war. He's got to look at his army and he's got to measure his army. He's got to see if he has what it takes to follow him. I'm calling you to Jesus tonight and I want you to evaluate tonight where you are. A blind call or a blind following to the call is not repentance. I want you to be repentant. I want you to follow Jesus in faith. Follow him and answer that call. Be willing to give up everything. Now, I know that's a hard, I know it's hard. And most of us, when we answer that call, we're just like Peter. We've left, but we haven't left. We give up, but we haven't given up. We're just like Peter. We start to follow Jesus. Verse 33 says, He has to forsake all that He hath. Let me ask you this evening would you give up everything that you have on this earth right now to go to heaven? Would you? Say, Of course I would. But I'm not going to die anytime soon. What if you knew you were going to die in the next five minutes? In the next five minutes, you were going to die. And you knew that. Do you think you would want to check your stocks first? And let's see, let me pull up my portfolio, and let me check my portfolio before we go. Trying to be realistic with you, and I know this is simplicity, and it's it's so simple that we don't want to hear it most of the time. But brethren, it's that simple. Would you give up everything that you have to go to heaven? Jesus said, "If you're not willing to do that, it's, you're not willing to pay the cost of discipleship." Peter started following Jesus and traveling with him, and he started seeing some great things take place. He saw his own mother-in-law healed from sickness. Jesus heals his wife's mother, and as a good mother-in-law does, she jumped up and started tending to the household, started taking care of all of them and serving them. Peter saw that. Peter saw Jesus raise a little girl from the dead in Matthew 9, verses 23 through 26. Can you imagine seeing someone raise someone from the dead, and especially a little girl? What more tender moment than to have a little girl raised up from the dead and given to their mother? Jesus did that, and Peter saw it. We spoke last night for uh, just a moment, and I want to read this passage again because I think it's so compelling, but this was one of Peter's high moments in his life, and it could be a high moment for you too if you approached it in the correct way. But this was a high moment in Peter's life. It's a time when the faith swelled up in Peter, and he saw Jesus walking on the water, and he said, Lord, if it's you command me to come, And Peter stepped out of the boat and he started walking toward Jesus. And the Bible says that he looked and saw the winds and the waves and the boisterous around him. And he feared. And that fear, as we spoke last night, he started giving reverence to the things that were material and temporal. And then he began to sink. And Jesus reprimands him. And he says, Why'd you doubt? Why'd you fear? Wherefore didst thou doubt, O thou of little faith? How often in your life have you felt like Peter? I'm in a moment in my life that I feel like I've got everything under control. I've mastered some of the weaknesses in my life, those sins that doth so easily beset me. Some of them I have cast aside. Those weights that hold me back, I've laid those down. And now I'm walking on water. I'm walking with Jesus on the water. And then all of a sudden we start giving reverence again to the things of the world and we start to sink and we go back into our old lifestyle. It's a story of humanity over and over and over again. An up and down cycle for Peter. An up and down cycle for you and me. We've had a very spiritual week this week. One of the most spiritual weeks that I can remember in my life. There's going to be a time when the spiritual high that we've been experiencing is going to go into the valley again and we have to face the material things. We've been coming here this e- every evening. We've been singing to each other And to the Lord, we've been loving on each other. But we've got to go back in the world, don't we? We've got to see that boisterous wave and those winds blowing again. The winds that can rob you of your portfolio. The winds that can rob you of your health. And then we start to sink again, don't we? That's Peter's life. Peter had another high moment, and you know this moment very well. It's found in Matthew 16, 18. It's the verse. Before that, the scripture says that Jesus, when he came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some say, they answered, You're John the Baptist, some Elias, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus said, Whom say ye that I am? Peter. Peter. One of these moments, one of these high moments in his life, and he rises to the occasion. He says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a confession. Now Jesus says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Upon that great confession is our entrance into the kingdom of God. Everything is based upon that confession. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you do not accept his deity. You do not accept him as God. If you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to confess that, you cannot be his disciple, according to Acts 8. One thing thou lackest, Philip asked the Ethiopian eunuch. One thing do you believe? The Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They both went down into the water, and there he baptized him. This great moment for Peter. God revealed this to Peter. Jesus said that. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you. But my Father in heaven. Now if that wouldn't make a fellow swell up with pride, I don't know what would. Out of all the disciples, all the apostles, it's Peter that receives this knowledge from God. God. And he's the one that stands up before Jesus and points to him and says, you're God, I figured it out. And Jesus said he was blessed. And I don't have the passage on the screen, but if you'll continue reading in that passage, Jesus started telling all of his apostles there, his disciples, of the things that he had to suffer. He had to go to Jerusalem and suffer at the hands of men and to die. And it was Peter. Peter that stands up and says, Lord, be it far from thee. Here we go. I'm up here at the mountaintop, and now I'm trying to reprimand the Lord. I'm trying to correct him. Don't you do that, Jesus. You can't die. You're God. And that's the way we are. We're just like Peter. At least I am. I get so full of myself sometime, I think, and, then, and, and I just know everything. Have you ever been like that? And then, I, then the Lord reprimands me. You don't have any right. You don't have any right to make these decisions that I'm making. You don't have any right to start sitting in judgment on your brother or your sister. You don't have any right. You don't have any right to be angry. You don't have any right to take wrath out upon anybody. It's me. I'm God. You're not. So Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Get thee behind me, Satan. You're speaking the things and savoring the things that be of men. Peter went back and started talking out of the flesh again. Now he's lowered himself again. A rise and a fall in the life of Peter and in the life of Mark and in the life, and in the life, and in the life. We see the revelation of the supreme authority given to Peter. Six days after this incident, the scripture says in Mark 9, verse 2, and after six days, six days after Peter had been given this revelation from God, that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus takes with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart from themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Wow. Can you imagine seeing that? And you're in a select group now. Got it. We got it going on, me and James and John. We're in, we're in the favorite of Jesus. And no wonder the argument of the apostles was constantly who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. With an idea like that and the thoughts of it, and I know that that's the thoughts of Peter, or at least I'm confident enough to sit up here and say this to this audience this evening because of what happened later. And we could come down really hard on Peter if we didn't fall into the same traps. Sometimes we get so high and mighty in our social status or our education status. I'm glad you've got a good education. I am so thankful you've got a good education. So many people in the world don't. I'm thankful that you've got money. Praise God you've got money. Use it for his glory. But if you ever let this start becoming a prideful thing with you, Jesus will lower you Just like he did Peter. The scripture says there in this transfiguration that his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, as no fuller on earth can white them. I'm talking to a bunch of cotton farmers here. (laughs) You know exactly what I'm talking about, what the scripture's saying there. This was whiter than anybody could imagine of a garment. And Peter saw that. And there appeared unto them Elias and Moses and were talking with Jesus. Can you imagine these heroes of in Peter's life? They're being transfigured. And this miraculous transfiguration is happening right before you. And you are so in the crowd. A low moment for Peter. He thinks it's a high moment. (laughs) He's convinced he's got the solution. Peter, he answers and says to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. It's a good thing. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. Now, I don't know if you've ever done a word uh, search and word study on fear. I have. And the, the afraid here in this uh, text does not mean the phobia of honoring God. <laughs> it means that he was terrified. <laughs> he was trembling. He was scared to death. So Peter wants to do this Out of fear. Not the fear of the reverence of God, but he has a solution. I'm scared and I'm going to be the one to open my mouth. Have you ever been around the person that always had the answers and wanted to open their mouth first? Man, I've been that person. Peter was that person. There was a cloud that overshadowed them and the voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son him Peter did not have a clue he didn't have the grasp nearly that he thought he had and in his terror he had the solution but he didn't want to show that he was afraid he wanted it to sound honorable and he wanted to sound it make it sound like I've got the answers and instead God corrects him and says oh no 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 Jesus is the son of God And you honor him and you hear him. I'm going to tell you, we've been facing these same battles all of our life of who we're going to listen to and who we're going to honor. Peter faced that battle too. And out of his terror, he was willing to give in and worship all three equally. And it sounded good to him because he was terrified. God said, oh no, there's one God One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father of all who is above all through all and in you all. You're not going to worship anybody else but worship Jesus. And I'm here this evening to tell you that we need to be praising Jesus. We need to be glorifying Jesus. We need to be worshiping Him. Peter later writes in his life in 2 Peter 1 verse 17, For for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice came from heaven, we heard, and we were with him in the holy mount. Peter became a witness and a witness of truth and testimony, but not at this point of the transfiguration. We take Peter to the garden of Gethsemane soon after. And we see Peter's brave claim. At the very beginning of our lesson this evening, we read where he said, I'll die for you. One of the passages, he says, though all men forsake you. Now, it's been debated on what he's talking about as all men. Does he mean everybody in the world, or is it just this group that he's with? (laughs) He's with 11 other people, you know. And maybe he's looking at his brethren there and (laughs) saying, there ain't nobody like me, Lord. Lord. Peter's full of pride and he's full of self confidence. Matthew 26 and 37, after they were in that supper, afterwards, Jesus took them out to the Garden of Gethsemane. I'd like to see to show you a movement of events that took place. Matthew 26, verse 37, and he took with him, notice, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Matthew 26, 40 says, He cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, saith unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about it with your own loved one. I sat with my mother when she was dying. I knew she was going to die that night. My wife was at my side and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the love and devotion of my wife to my mother. She was dying and we watched her slip away slowly, slowly, slowly. It came late. It became two and three and four o'clock in the morning. We'd been up for hours and hours and hours but I'm going to tell you we did not go to sleep. Why? Why? My mother. And she's dying. My wife did the same thing with her mother. Jennifer did the same thing. Our love and devotion to our parents, certainly we need to have that. Now Jesus is coming to the last hours of his life. He's already told the apostles what's going to take place. And proud, boastful Peter... Always on the in crowd, always arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus takes him to the Garden of Gethsemane, a moment where he could be as close to the Lord as anyone could ever be. You'll never be closer to someone than when they're in their deepest misery and agony, and you're there to comfort them. But Peter went to sleep. what a failure the scripture tells us that why that Jesus took them to the garden peter might have thought it was because he was such a good disciple and such a good apostle to Jesus but Jesus took them there to prepare to prepare for the agony that was ahead and prepare for the test that Peter was going to have to face. And Jesus takes us to a garden of Gethsemane many times in our life and many times we fall asleep. We start getting tired and burdened in this world and instead of preparing for what's ahead for us. You see, brethren, I think that we need to prepare. I think we need to prepare I think we need to prepare for what's ahead for us. I think you need to be prepared for the end of your life. It's coming. Don't go to sleep over it. We see the soldiers come. And they arrest Jesus. They come there to arrest him and Peter. Brave Proud braggedy Peter. The scripture says in John 18 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malachus. Now that's pretty detailed. That's pretty detailed. Who drew the sword? Peter did. Now let me th- let me think about Peter here for a moment. We want, now looking in hindsight, we can criticize him. I mean, Jesus is the king of kings, right? He knows what's going to happen. He knows his purpose. They didn't take his life, he gave it. He bought us, we understand all that. So now we look back at Peter, and we see this action. In Peter's life, and we say, Peter, 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 so foolish. So foolish. And then we want to take up a mantle of militant behavior and militant language. Peter's just being a militant. That's all he's doing. Fighting a battle that's not his. But in his pride... It is self-conceit of thinking he knows everything. He was the one that told Jesus, I won't deny you. And now he's being a militant. So he cuts off the right ear of Malchus. And Jesus reprimands him once again, puts his ear back on, miraculously, and says to Peter, you're gonna live by the sword, you're gonna die by the sword. Don't live that way. We want to ignore this way of life because we are just like Peter. We want to take up the battle for the flesh just like Peter. And this is a man who came and answered a call of Jesus and followed him and lived with him for three years. So we kind of understand ourselves a little better, don't we? If Peter can do this, no wonder we can. But it doesn't make it any more correct. It doesn't give it any more validity. It's still wrong. We are fighting a battle, brethren, of spiritual proportions and not physical. When we take up a mantle of being a militant for the physical things of this life, we are committing the same transgression that Peter made. And I say it's a transgression because Jesus corrected it. You think about that. Take our wrongs and then justify them by forgiving and by placing Malachi's ear back on and then correcting us. What a long-suffering, patient Savior we have over and over and over again. Peter writes later on in his life, In 1 Peter 2, verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be the king is supreme. Submit. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 17, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That's not Mark Parkhurst, that's the apostle Peter after a conversion where he was transformed and changed and became the man of God that God wanted him to be. Verse 19 says, for this is thankworthy if a man of conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For even here and to you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. I'll tell you the only flag that we really need to die under is the flag of the cross. We don't need to be a militant for physical things, but we need to be a warrior of the cross because because that's our only hope. That's our only hope. Salvation is our hope. 1 Peter 4 and 11 says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. This is Peter's dilemma. This is our dilemma. Peter saw Malichus and he saw the rest of the soldiers there. And he picks up a sword and he's got a solution to a problem. So he swings the sword. The only problem with that is, or the major problem, is Jesus didn't tell him to do that. Did he? As a matter of fact, Jesus reprimanded him. Our issues so many times, we want to take things in our own hands instead of following the commandments of God. Would we do that? We're not walking by faith. We're walking by sight. We're reacting to circumstances around us just like Peter did. After they arrested Jesus, the scripture says in Matthew 26 verse 58, but Peter followed him afar off into the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Here now we see Peter not as a high position at all in his life. He's no longer bold. He's already been reprimanded. And now he thinks it's over. Now if I hadn't been there so many times, uh, I would find this humorous. But I've I've been there way too many times. You know a little bit about me because I've shared myself... (laughs) Probably too much this week. My wife gets tickled at me because she said, you know, there's no telling how many crops we lost in our early years, in the past 30 years. No telling how many crops we lost because every year you'd come in and say, boy, it looks bad. It's over. Going bankrupt. (laughs) We never lost a crop. That was an attitude, that was a mindset, and Peter adopted that mindset. Things didn't go his way. Jesus has reprimanded him, corrected his mistake, and then reprimands him. They take Jesus, and all all Peter sees is a hopeless situation, so he attempts to follow Jesus at a distance. There are some of you here this evening that have been attempting to follow Jesus from a distance for years. For years. Your attempt to follow Jesus is not to get too serious about things. Not to speak up too often. Not to be to too many services. Not to participate too often. After all, if I start doing that, then they're going to think I'm committed to something and I'll have responsibilities. Some of you have been trying to follow distance, follow Jesus at a distance for years in your prayers. You pray only when you've got trouble. And you don't pray when you're in thanksgiving. After all, if you're like Peter, there's not a whole lot to be thankful for. The good things happen in life because you worked hard. Because you're strong. Because you're smart. It's just the way we are. So we attempt to follow Jesus at a distance. I'm going to tell you, you can never do that. Not successfully. This is the beginning of the end for Peter. He's following Jesus at a distance. And if you're here this evening and you're not all in to following Jesus, it's the beginning of an end for you, but it doesn't have to be because you can make up your mind tonight to not do that. James 4 and 8 says, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh to you. God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The humble person is not a person that walks around all their life with their head uh, lower and bouncing off the floor. I mean, Satan can do that to you. He beats many of a man down But the humble person is a person who will submit to Jesus. The humble person is the person that will submit to his brethren and say, I'm going to be subject to you. You know, we're told to do that. I need to be concerned about your needs more than my own. And when this is reciprocated and we're living that way, (laughs) it's wonderful. There's no big I's and little U's then. It's all about serving Jesus. It's all about getting as close to the Lord as we can. Of loving our brethren. Of loving him. And not following Jesus at a distance. And try to remain aloof. Many people seek out a large congregation. So that they can keep their anonymity. They can come in and they can go out and not be seen, not to be spoken to too much. They know they need to go to church, so they seek out a large congregation. Now, that's not our issue at home. (laughs) If they walk into our congregation at home, they're going to be seen and they're going to be noticed and they're going to be talked to and they're going to be loved on. We've finally grown to that point where that thing, that is going to take place. A lot of smaller congregations have the issue when somebody comes in, it scares them to death. They don't know how to talk to the person because they've, they've been treating their services as if nobody's ever going to show up. And then when somebody miraculously shows up, they're scared to death. I've seen that too. And they don't know how to talk to them. All of that's following Jesus at a distance. We serve Jesus by serving each other. By loving each other. By counting you more valuable than myself. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. So Jesus is inside now and he's been going through the trial and Peter's outside. And now we see the ending of Peter. He's warming himself by the fires of the ungodly. He's given up. John 18, 18 says, And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warned himself. Look who he's with. He's with ungodly people. He's with people who hate Jesus. And Peter, who's been with him for three years... Snuggles up and tries to warm the flesh. Somebody comes up to Peter. Says I know you. Oh I know you. You're the one. That was with him. You're the one that's with him. I can tell that by your language. By the accent that you've got. It's kind of like people. uh, Talking about my kindly. Kindly. I know you're from Tennessee or Kentucky because you don't know how to talk, right? You'll use the word kindly instead of kind of. Well, it is what it is. <laughs> and Peter says, no, that's not, that's not you're, you've got, you're mistaken, that's not, I'm not the man. I don't know him first time. Second time, somebody comes up. I know you. You're with Jesus. I don't know him. I'm telling you, I don't know him. Leave me alone. I don't know him. Here's this pride filled man that's now denying his Lord. And somebody comes up and literally they say, You cut off Balakasir. I saw it. You're the one that swung the sword. And the scripture says in one place that he denied before them all, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. He denied with oaths. He denied with swearings. And you can read the passage. Here's a man who is a follower of Jesus, saw all these things. Now he's swearing and cursing and denying God. And I'm telling you, that's the fall of all who will take the, fall, the, the path that Peter took. The rooster crowed, and he remembered what Jesus said, that before the cock crow, you'll deny me three times. And the rooster crows, and Peter remembered. Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. We go back to our verse. But I prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. This gave me a dilemma for a long time because I thought that if Peter was not a follower of Jesus, or if he was not in a salvation position, then where in the world would that put me? Jesus handpicked Peter as one of his apostles to bear witness for us so that we might know Jesus and endowed with miraculous powers to witness to Jesus. And if he's not converted, if he's not a Christian, then where in the world does that leave me? And I've discovered that conversion doesn't always involve salvation. Salvation. There are two types and two ways of meanings of conversion It can happen in a moment, in an instant. And in a sense, when you make up your mind that you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to surrender to him, that is a conversion that takes place. But there's also a conversion that takes place over a period of time, of a transformation. Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 2, and be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. A transformation that takes place. Peter had not yet reached that transformation. Maybe you have it. I don't know. You can evaluate your life to the life of Peter. For Peter's is a human story. It's your story and it's my story. The word conversion here means come again to convert. Turn again to transform to be morally changed. We're being morally changed, brethren. We're being made into creatures like Jesus Christ if we reverence him, if we give him glory. If we're filled with pride, God resisteth the proud, gives grace to the humble. Matthew 18, verses one through five, we see the problem with all all of us At the same time came the disciples with Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I want a seat. I want a seat at the table. And I want to be acknowledged at the table. (laughs) Our society is, is filled with this. Everybody's voice wants to be heard. Stop it. Stop it. Our voice doesn't have to be heard. Stop it. Let's not forget who we're about and what we're about. We're about Jesus. And if the world sees us about anything else, we're just in the failure of Peter before he was converted, before he was transformed. Stop it. Jesus called a little child into him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Notice what Jesus said. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoso shall receive... One such little child in my name receiveth me. This verse that I have on the board comes at the heels after Peter had given up and he didn't know. He didn't know his position with the Lord any longer. He denied the Lord three times. He said, I'm going fishing. Jesus had been killed. There had been moments in Peter's life uh, prior to this point in John 21 where he had had some reassurance, but he still wasn't sure. Still wasn't sure. He didn't know where his position was with Jesus. He said, I'm going fishing. When he went fishing, he was going back to his old profession. That's all he knew. I'm 65 years old, and I've wondered what I'd do now if I had to go back to work. You know, who's going to hire a 65-year-old preacher? (laughs) Find something, though. Peter said, "I'll find something." They see Jesus on the shore. Peter's out there fishing, and he cries to Peter, "Have you caught? Have you? Do you have any meat, children?" I find this amazing that how the Lord shows us, because that's exactly the same thing he asked Peter on one of occasions when he was calling him. And because of the miracle of telling Peter which side to cast on the boat. And to pull in all these fish, Peter started following Jesus. He'd seen a miracle. He'd said, st- oh, you're God. I'm going to follow you. You're, 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 not, you're not like me, and I'm going to follow you. You have shown me something that no man can do. And then Peter goes through these three years, and he fails, and he succeeds, and he fails, and he succeeds. And now he's at a point where he doesn't know what to do. And he says, I'm going back to my nets and I'm going back fishing. Jesus says, Do you have any fish? Jesus tells them where to cast. They pull in all this boat. Jesus, Peter, Peter takes off his clothes. He j- puts, jumps into the water and goes to Jesus. And he gets up there in the meantime, bet- between the boat and between the time on the shore. Go and read this passage in John 21. There is a fire burning. (laughs) There's a fire. Jesus has fire there. and, And he takes some fish. I wonder if Peter, when he saw that fire that Jesus had, that I think was miraculously built and started, I wonder if he remembered that fire where he stood by. And he warmed himself by the fires of the ungodly. And there he denied the Lord three times with oaths and with swearings. And now he's standing by a fire with Jesus. And Jesus asked him a question. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you? Are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to serve me? Do you love me more than these? The unwavering faith of the apostles came eventually, but right now, Peter is facing Jesus. And Jesus asked him this question, do you love these, me, more than these? I wonder if Peter thought about that time that somebody accused him of knowing Jesus he denied the Lord. Jesus asked him the second time. Lovest thou me. More than these. The third time. Jesus said every time yes. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Take care of them Peter. The third time. Peter makes a startling confession. The first time. The first time. You know what that is? Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love you. Feed my sheep, Peter. A man who had lived with Jesus for three years is now fit to be converted, he has made a change. He has made a change to be where Jesus can transform him into what he needs to be. Because he has come to the end of himself, he has come to the end of the rope, all else has been thrown away and given up. I thought I knew everything, now Lord I'm confessing that you know everything, and you know my heart, and I can't express my heart any more than you know it. Oh, that we would come to that point in our life. That we can surrender to Jesus to that point And quit trying to tell him what is going to happen and what we need and what's, what's going to take place. But yet we can come to the point and say, Jesus, you know all things. And not say it just with our lips, but say it with our heart, and start laying in a surrender and becoming a surrender where Jesus can transform us into creatures that are fit for his use and fit for the master's table. Vessels of honor. Then the transformation could take place. And Peter becomes one of the apostles Becomes an elder. He becomes an elder and he starts feeding the sheep. And he feeds the lambs. There came a time in Peter's life that Jesus told him would come. Now Jesus even takes him further. He said, Peter, you're going to go in a place that you don't want to go. You're going to be stretched out in a position that you don't want to be stretched out. You're going to have to undergo things that you don't want to undergo. And Peter later on in his life, and historians bear out the fact that when he came to a a time in his life where he had to leave this world, Peter was taken by men that he did not want to be taken by. And he was stretched out upon a cross. And historians say that Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified as the Lord. I can see the humble Peter now. His life has been transformed and it's been changed all because of a point of surrender in saying, Lord, you know my heart and I don't. I thought I knew. I thought I knew. I thought I would die for you, but I denied you. and I, I, I let everybody down, but you know. And they took Peter and they crucified him. And today, look what a blessing he is to us you can be a blessing too when God transforms your life into a person that is like Jesus. But you have to come to a point in your life in realizing that it's not about you. It's about Him. If you're here this evening and you've been living a life for self, quit, stop, Come to Christ. He knows your heart. He knows everything about you. Come to Christ. Repent of your past mistakes and your past sins. He is a loving, long-suffering, benevolent Savior who loves you and wants to see you saved as much as he wanted to see Peter saved. Come to Christ. Repent of your sins and be baptized. And be raised to walk in a newness of life. If you're here this evening and you, your life has not been what it should be as a Christian, we want to help you. The only solution that we have is God's solution. And God's solution is this, is that we pray with each other and we pray for each other. One of the beauties, that I've told the young people this week, one of the greatest things and the greatest privileges of being a Christian is that I have the opportunity... To start over again. Just like Peter. In all of my failures I can start over again. But I have to come to Jesus. And I have to come on the terms. Lord thou knowest all things. You know my heart. Won't you come? Together we stand and sing.